Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter. This rounds up the best bits from my show on talk radio and brings you some amazing guests with great stories. This week, we speak to journalist Matt Rudd about his new book, Man Down, which looks at the trials and tribulations of being a middle-aged man. Trust me, there are more than you think. Plus, we speak to everyday sexism founder Laura Bates about the men who hate women the really horrifying dark side of the internet that she uncovered in her latest research. First up, it's Matt Rudd. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. This show is called Badass Women's Hour for a reason, because we think we don't talk about women's issues enough on the radio. The, the majority of the radio, uh, particularly speech radio, is dominated by men and men's opinions, so we like to be a little balanced to that. But that doesn't mean that we don't care about the men. We do. We care deeply. We like them a lot. We want them to be okay too. And yet my next guest says, actually, while it might seem as though everything is great for men on the surface, below the surface, there are big problems. Matt Rudd joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Matt. Hello, Harriet. Thank you so much for allowing a whinging man onto your show. <laughs> it's one a year, so you've made you've made the cut. Um, <laughs> I read your article in the Times, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, and was absolutely fascinated by it. And I think it's sort of gone viral and everyone's talking about it because you're saying, actually, I hate to be the person that says it because I know that technically being a middle-aged man should be great, but it's really not. Tell me what is so tough about being a middle-aged, and I'm sorry, a middle-aged white guy. Yes, I mean, it is, it is annoying because, well, for me, it happens... A couple of years ago, I kind of just had a minute after, you know, you, you spend the whole first half of your life passing tests, passing exams, then you get into the big wide world, you get a job and you're fighting your way up the career ladder. Then if you're really crazy, you have kids and that wipes out your 30s and you arrive in the 40s and suddenly you have a minute to think. And for me, I just became quite anxious and I stopped sleeping. I was waking up every night and catastrophizing. I was worrying about my job, worrying about the mortgage, whether I could feed the kids. And it's really annoying because this should be the kind of, this should be the good years. Yeah. But instead, as statistics show, there's this horrible spike for men in particular in stress, in anxiety, depression, and sadly, suicide as well. So can I ask, because I, I think sort of for women, we've looked at it and we said, well, guys, 
come on, it's really obvious. You know, you're the ones that have bought into this system that you've created. You wanted to get the big jobs and make the most money and, you know, have a nice life. You've done all that. Why are you not happy? But as you were doing that in your 20s and 30s, was there any part of you that said, oh, hang on, I'm not sure I'm doing the right thing, but everyone around me is telling me to, so I'm just getting on with it? Or were you completely unaware? I think that's, that's a really good question. That's exactly the problem here. It is a system set up by men for men. So really, what have we got to whinge about? But I do think, I spoke to a lot of midlife men, but I also spoke to younger men, and I think it's even harder for the next generation than it, it has been for ours. And they don't, have, they don't have the luxury, or they feel like they don't have the luxury to think, is this you know, have I found my passion? Is this emotionally right for me? There's just such a pressure to pass the various tests that are, that we're completely, you know, indoctrinated into from a very young age. I mean, it starts with school. Yeah. What were some of the men that you spoke to saying about their experiences of midlife? It was interesting because the reason I was speaking, it was my, that was my response to my own midlife doldrums, was to go and talk to men who I thought looked like they had it all together. I would learn lessons from them and I'd, I'd be fine. Yeah. And when I started talking to them, the first reaction was, I'm fine. But then within half a pint, they were talking about the, the, the central thing is this trying to have this perfect work-life balance. So you're you know, brilliantly, we are now m trying to be far more hands-on as parents. I think almost all the men I spoke to, you know, you, we're no longer being dragged into the nappy changing station. We want to be part of our family's life, lives, mm -hmm. but we've still got one foot in the old patriarchal expectation that we have to be the provider. Yeah. So it's, it's crazy to me, for example, that we still only have, I've got three boys and I had three weeks paternity leave. Yeah. For, so a week for each one. And I spent, I spent a part of the research for this book, I went and spent time with some dads who worked for an insurance company where the, they had just introduced an equal parental leave policy. And it was so annoying because <laughs> all these smiley working dads, they got back from six, you know, obviously six months of early parenting is quite intense yeah. uh, but they've had time to establish the the new family to help mum and they were and then they were also refreshed to be back at work you know great i've had a break i mean yeah. not a break but a change is as good as a rest right well, i think after six months of a screaming newborn anything feels like they a were break, very yes. pleased <laughs> very very pleased to be back straight back to the insurance company so so I think it's, you know, it, it's, it's all quite classic, but I think because of the way things have moved for women, I do think men are a little bit far behind. You know, we've, we're seen as having it all our own way, but actually we need to get better at doing, you know, demanding more, more time. For example, it's still the women who it, the onus is on to ask for flexi time. Yeah. It's very rare that you get men going to their bosses and saying I'd like to work from home for two days a week and of course all of this I wrote before this crazy year so maybe some of the things that I've been asking for which is basically to kind of stop being so caught up in the rat race 
will come to pass. Well, I mean, this is um, what we're talking about is obviously your book, which is called Man Down. And I thought that was such a, a, a such a provocative title, right? Because it, it instantly brings up an image almost of a man drowning. Is that how it feels? For me, I think I think what happens is we tend to talk about the full midlife crisis mm. quite a lot. Yeah. And that's something that is quite extreme and then it's 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 so extreme that you can see it and it's dealt with but for so many men that i've spoken to it's much it's a much subtler thing it's it's more like midlife doldrums but they don't talk about it you know we st we still raise boys now not mm. to talk about their emotions and if, even as if as parents we encourage them to uh, be emotionally open at school and certainly at the way they talk on the internet now it's a very mm. closed off thing it's still quite we, we I, I feel bad i was thinking about this the other day when if one of my sons scrapes his knee and is crying i'm a little bit embarrassed for him and in my head i'm thinking man up yeah and that's so we even subconsciously we're encouraging this quite stoic quite sort of rudyard kipling-esque um, maleness and a lot of studies have shown that the, the more you do that in childhood the less happy the outcomes are in midlife so man down is a little bit I mean I'm trying to sell books here right? so <laughs> you've got to give it a bit of a title but it's the idea that there are a lot of men who are struggling they are catastrophizing in their 40s but they're not talking about it and the outcome there is either you you get through it and then you're greeted with the sunny uplands of your 60s yeah. or you don't and that's where things go spectacularly wrong do you think that in some way women are if not entirely responsible for this that they have had an impact on it and i say that because um when i was writing a lot about feminism and how the world was changing i used to use a phrase a lot which was that the world is changing but it's not changing fast enough for women and it's changing too fast for men do you think that perhaps these these changes in society and how we expect men to be, behave and what we need from them is actually one of the one of the causes of men being stuck in the doldrums i think superficially mm. men do, i have spoken to men who feel quite challenged by the the changes for women you know they they become defensive i think mm. deep down it can't happen fast enough and mm. the sooner we find economic equality the sooner it's going to become easier for men to push for emotional equality and that's not that's on us that's not on women but i do think the idea that men are we're still trying to cling on to some of the traditional vestiges of man manness is is the problem and actually it's amazing if you do ask if you do say for example i want to work from home i've got a young family or I want to work part-time because my wife is wanting to invest her time in her career at this stage of her life, then normally if you have an enlightened employer, the reception is quite positive. But within ourselves, we've got to get over the whole 
just just even asking feels like mm. that's not a terribly manly thing to do. What do you think men today think being manly is? Do you think they know? I think it's there have been some there are some workshops uh, which have been conducted by some psychologists where they talk to boys and young men about about what it is to be a man and it is still very much to be strong and to be stoic and to be successful as well whatever we mean by successful and then the more you know we put put young boys in superhero capes from a very young age in media they watch superhero films or they watch films where the guys in it are useless and yeah. hilarious with with hilarious consequences mm. so those are the two stereotypes that we deal with when these psychologists talk to them and they open up about it they you know men are capable of being emotionally intelligent <laughs> as well and actually i found it was when i was talking to these men and asking if they were happy you obviously for the first half an hour you get really funny looks and quite defensiveness yeah. and by the end of it we were having proper conversation i started with friends of mine who i've known for 20 30 years and we had deeper conversations than we've had before and then by the end of it i was talking to men from all different walks of life and you know it's i think it is a it's wrong that to say that men don't talk they just need a bit of prodding in the first place Matt, Shall I tell you who the happiest man I found in two years or who we actually hold that thought because we're going to take a break <laughs> and then everyone can be on tenterhooks whilst they listen to the travel news about who the happiest man is and how they got there uh, Matt Rand talking about his book Man Down we're going to keep talking to him here on Talk Radio Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Badass Women's Hour podcast. You can get in touch on all the socials on at Badass Women's Hour. Before the break, Matt tantalised us with the idea of who, the happiest man he's ever met. Um, 
do please tell us, Matt, who is he and why is he so happy? Well, we've built it up far too much. <laughs> but this, this was in two, two years of talking to largely miserable men. Mm. Uh, I spoke to this guy who, he, he was doing everything that the rest of us do. He was setting out in life. He'd, he'd, he'd um, got a long-term girlfriend, got the mortgage, and he was setting up a burglar alarm installation business on the south coast. And he was spending all day long installing burglar alarms for older people because they tend to be the ones who are the key customers for burglar alarms. And they were all telling him that they wished he was, they were his age again because they would do things differently, they would follow their dreams, etc., etc. And this really got to him. And to cut a very long story short, he has spent the last 35 years living in a caravan next to Loch Ness. <laughs> Did he dump the girlfriends, quit the business and just leave it? Everything, everything, and went. And people have interviewed him before, and they kind of, they interview him because he's a bit of a, they portray him as a bit of a kook. You know, he's still looking for the Loch Ness Monster. But when I spoke to him, it was just the way he talked about his excitement at the light coming across the lock and how every day was different and et cetera, et cetera. It was really amazing. Now, obviously, we can't all go and move to Loch Ness because Mm -hmm. it would wreck it, and then we'd all be in the rat race up there. Um, But it was interesting, certainly at that young age, that he'd picked up the lessons that we all know elders tell us, um, you know, that we block it out. What do you think, if if we're being specific, what are those lessons? Because... Is it that he's put himself in a place of extreme natural beauty and he's appreciating each moment of it? Or is it that fundamentally his deepest desire was always to live in a caravan by Loch Ness? I I say this as somebody who has a middle-aged boyfriend who's constantly telling me how all middle-aged men are unhappy and they're just not talking about it. And really, they would be much happier if they dumped their girlfriends and went off and lived remotely somewhere. And I frequently tell him to go do it if that's what he wants. But... um, (laughs) Is it is it actually about living that dream, or is it about something more fundamental about appreciating what we're doing? I think it's it is for me as a midlife man, uh, and I think a lot of other men feel like this. You do feel quite trapped, yeah. and when you read self help books or Instagram posts which say things like find your passion, or you hear stories like the one I've just told where a young man goes off and does something extreme, it doesn't feel like an option. I think certainly when you're younger, the pressure to just block out what you feel passionate about just to get get onto the career ladder is very strong. But that's the point where you have more room for manoeuvre. You can do literally anything. For us midlifers, it's, it's a lot harder. And, but you know, I've looked at a lot of different things in the book for me I've, you know I try, and I've also tried all the classic things you know taking up yoga buying a lot of lycra <laughs> trying to surf I've tried drinking a lot I've tried not drinking anything and actually for me I've noticed oddly that over the last two years that I've been talking about this to other people and now I'm really embarrassingly living my midlife crisis out on national radio but i do i do feel i do feel better and the catastrophizing that i've been doing in the nights i I can now identify what is ridiculous and what is just future panicking that i can't help can't change 
is ridiculous and I should ignore it. And then I can focus a little bit more, and this sounds really hippie, but to focus more on the present. So, so um, this is a very rambling answer, but your point about should we appreciate what we've got is really important. It's just recognising that we do have stuff. Yeah. And also that we have a choice about it, I guess, as well. It feels like what you're saying is, you know, we have a choice to decide that we're going to don all the lycra, take up cycling and go have a crack at the Tour de France aged 47. But actually, realistically, we're not going to take that choice. We just like to know that it's there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've, I have now given up on the idea of being an international rugby player. So there is realism creeps in as you get older. But it's trying to break. So, so for me, there's a real issue about accumulating stuff, you know, always looking at what the neighbour's got and feeling like you've got to have that. And the amount of technology that is in our lives both which which this is a very old thing but you know obviously you're never far away from your office anymore it's always on a screen right in front of you so you can't escape you can't escape work but also just the amount of gadgets we've got uh there was a study done way back in 2005 so before iphones and ipads which found that it took 20 minutes for you to stop being distracted when an email dropped into your inbox so you're doing one thing you're spending time with your kids you're reading a book you're trying to get on with a project an email arrives that's 20 minutes before you can focus again 15 years on i mean i've got a smart thermostat you know one of those (laughs) smart i get i get more notifications from that than i do from my wife (laughs) It's really ridiculous. So my, my, if we're trying to be helpful here, mm. get rid of all anything that's smart, anything that needs an app straight in the bin, other than the talk radio app, of course. Obviously. Um, finally, Matt, just, I guess, briefly, yeah, that's one piece of advice. Get rid of anything smart, put it in the bin. But this week has been World Suicide Prevention Day. We know that suicide is the biggest killer of men under 40. Men aren't talking. What is the one thing you would tell them to get them to talk? So, yeah, I mean, in the book, there's a whole chapter on mental health and physical health. We're bad at talking to doctors and we're bad at talking to friends. I've tried it and it's really difficult to start with. You feel like you're being a bit a bit wet and you feel like you're, you shouldn't, you know, you, we're men as you started at the top of this interview what have we got to complain about uh but as you just said the statistics make it very clear that we we do need to talk more because the the figures have got worse this year which is a bleak note to end this on (laughs) it is a bleak note but it also feels hugely important and i want to say thank you for starting that conversation thank you for making a conversation that i as a woman am having with you um and hopefully with other women around the world but perhaps we can talk as well about what more we can do to support the men in the same way we ask for that support from them so matt thank you for writing the book and doing thank you Harry. we need to get we need to get a copy to your boyfriend yes i'm buying him one as we speak getting it there <laughs> hopefully it's not going to inspire him to buy a caravan by loch ness but who knows uh- <laughs> this is the badass women's hour podcast now, several years ago, my next guest 
set up a website asking people to share their experiences of everyday sexism, those small microaggressions that happen to us, or happen to women, certainly, every day. The things that we hadn't really even considered to be sexism, somebody whistling at you on the street, somebody making a comment about the length of your skirt, somebody telling you you looked really sexy in that outfit, even though you were at work and it wasn't really an appropriate comment and it didn't really need to happen. Uh, when Laura Bates set up the website, she just thought she'd get a few responses. Instead, she was inundated with them. And overnight, she created a campaign which really exposed the depths of sexism in our society. Here we are, I think I can think I can say about 10 years later, and she's still doing it. Her new book looks at part of the internet that, particularly if you're a woman, you might just never go near. The part that seems to be dominated by men who hate women. She joins me now to talk about it. Hi, Laura. Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you. I was thinking about how long ago it was since you set up Everyday Sexism. Was it 10 years? Nearly eight years. Eight years. Oh my gosh. Because um, it seems like in those eight years, the way we talk about sexism has moved on light years. You know, we, I was thinking about some things that we just wouldn't even have considered sexism eight years ago, and now we absolutely see it. But for your latest book, you're, it kind of came about because actually you found that when you were going around schools talking to kids about everyday sexism, the response that they were having to you started to change. Can you tell us about that? Yes, that's right. So from quite early on, I was going into lots and lots of schools, maybe two schools a week on average, and speaking to thousands of young people about all kinds of issues around sexism and gender stereotyping, healthy relationships. And of course, it was awkward. And, you know, sometimes there were embarrassing moments and resistance and confusion, as you'd expect. But usually we managed to have a really good conversation and, and sort of move forward. Yeah. About two years ago, it started to change in that not all of the children, but a, a kind of cohort of boys at each talk gradually started arriving with very, very fixed and very extreme ideas already about women and about sexism and feminism. And they believed, for example, that false rape allegations are absolutely rife, that men across the country are losing their jobs because of the witch hunt that is Me Too, um, that there's a sort of feminist conspiracy deep in the heart of government and white men are real victims in today's society. And I just started to realize that they were using exactly the same quotes and phrases and even the same completely false statistics. And I slowly started to realize that something was going on and, and essentially that they'd been radicalized, that they'd been subjected to online grooming and what we would call radicalization if it was any other kind of movement, sort of poisoning young minds against any other particular group of people. And I don't just mean, you know, young people with a couple of sexist jokes. I mean some really extreme beliefs that, that really weren't true about our society today. Can you give us some examples? Yeah, so, for example, saying that um, actually, you know, a third of women lie about rape or the majority of rape allegations are false um, or didn't you know that thousands of men have lost their jobs in the wake of Me Too because of women making up stories that have absolutely no basis that companies simply terminate them without any kind of due process anyway. You know, some quite extreme beliefs or, you know, boys who would say, well, actually, you're here to talk to us about uh, sexual violence, but the truth is that far more men experience rape and domestic violence than women do and you're lying to us some quite so quite extreme ideas and and really quite sort of ingrained ideas about women and about 
sex and about gender that had obviously come from somewhere. And the more I started talking to them and asking them, you know, where did you get these ideas from? The more they started mentioning the same names and the same places. And I realized that they had been groomed by um, a kind of extremist, um, set of groups online which as a woman as a feminist or a woman writing online unfortunately I've been aware of these groups for some time um, but the vast majority of people more widely in society tend not to know that they even exist for a long time there was an argument that we shouldn't really give them the oxygen of publicity yeah. but once I realized that they were actually reaching and having a really big impact on boys in so many different schools from so many different backgrounds I thought maybe we did need to talk about these hate groups because that's what they are. And if they're reaching so many boys and we don't even realise it's happening, then we can't protect those boys or support them. So I, same thing, feminists on the internet can't ignore these hate groups. They've popped up on my feed several times. And yeah. I am... Um, said, so can I... I've been reading some of the forums and I always sort of think, oh my God, this is so extreme. This is just a few... A, a few very angry men who need a corner of the internet to vent go have your corner of the internet and vent and stay over there but mm -hmm. are you saying that's not act what is actually happening is that they're actually reaching out to young boys and trying to bring them in on it Absolutely. So I would have been inclined to think the same thing until I started the research for this mm. book. And a couple of things really shocked me. One was that we tend to think these ideas are so extreme, so strange. They must be just a few oddballs who yeah. never leave their internet murky corners. The truth is, as I've investigated these groups, I've unraveled a network that consists of hundreds of thousands of people. We really, really aren't just talking about a few men. We're talking about huge membership, even of the very most extreme groups, groups which are inciting violence and hatred and rape and murder of women and of course we know that members of these groups have gone offline and done just that we're not just talking about words we're not just talking about people online we're talking about men like Elliot Roger like Alec Manassian the most famous examples who have gone out and committed massacres of dozens of women very deliberately in the name of this ideology of hating women but even more recently than this though there was for example a teenager in the UK who went out and attempted to murder three separate women because he he was furious for the same reasons he hated women he felt that they owed him sex and he hadn't had sex oh or just a few months ago in canada a 17 year old boy who walked into a massage parlor with a machete and murdered a woman again he was an incel he was a member of one of these groups so the first thing to say is that it's not just online yeah. and that they're not just these oddballs that we'd like to make them out to be it, it became clear in the states for example a few years ago that one of the owners of one of the most prolific of these websites was actually a congressional candidate um, there's been sitting members um, of politicians who've been unmasked to be members of these groups um, and I think their influence of young boys is very deliberate and if it was anything else, if it was another kind of extremism, we would call it grooming because they do it in a very careful and sophisticated way. So it's not about necessarily getting these boys to become members of these groups explicitly. It's about finding them on, they use gaming platforms, they use gaming live streams, they use chat rooms, they use bodybuilding websites which yeah. seems like a bizarre place for this stuff to crop up until you learn that on the biggest bodybuilding website i investigated there was 10 times as much content about teens as any other subject so there's a lot of teenage boys on there who are already boys who are perhaps vulnerable to ideas about having to prove yourself as a man in a quite specific way and a specific mm -hmm. idea of what it means to look and and be a powerful you know alpha male 
obviously that's not to say that everyone on a building um, bodybuilding website is a member of these groups but it's a, what I mean is it's a very clever recruiting technique to go to, to go to that particular website to look for people who might be vulnerable to this ideology they really know what they're doing and when we're talking about this as an ideology I think you touched on something really interesting there which is you know, they're going to places where people are already perhaps thinking about what it means to be a man in today's society. And what do you think some of the message messages are that they are giving out about how to be a man to these young boys? Well, they're very, very clear in their ideology. They dehumanise women. They send the message that the world is stacked against men. As a man, you are a victim of a world that unfairly privileges women, that women have all the cards when it comes to sexual relationships. And if you aren't having sex, then that's because evil women are denying it to you and they deserve to die. It sounds extreme, but this is the rhetoric. Mm. Let me give you an example. A bodybuilding website um, where a boy had said, um, asked for advice, a teenage boy asking for advice about how to talk to a girl. And one of the very first responses was from a man who said, rape it. <gasps> so it's, it's really very extreme, but it's very prolific. So these are not by any means a few cherry-picked examples. Having a look at any of these communities, and they're very different communities, but the kind of messaging that boys are learning, mm. if they're in the pickup artist community, they're learning things like, all oh, women have a rape fantasy, you're just playing into it. You need to go caveman, an alpha male takes what he wants. Women don't really know what they want. They have to be pushed and forced. You need to learn to train her to obey you like a golden retriever. Oh, my God. If they're in the inside community they're learning things like um, rape should be legalized except that would take the fun out of it women should never have been given rights they ought to be legally transferred from their father to their husband on marriage there should be state sanctioned redistribution of sex where women are forced to have sex with all men because all men are owed it it's part of their birthright as men we're talking about pretty extreme ideas but they're very widespread how did you feel when you were in when you were reading all this because I think you know I have definitely had a period of my life where I like, went down the kind of like reading about the pickup artists reading about incels and mm. sort of feeling very disillusioned by men is but to immerse yourself in that culture what was the impact on you of that well, I didn't think it's made me feel disillusioned about men as a whole because I'm lucky to work with so many men who are so incredibly supportive of women and of feminism. And for this book, I also interview, and the book also details lots of men who are fighting back, men who are absolutely part of the, the, the fight to change this. Um, men like Gary Barker, who founded Promundo, which is a worldwide organization trying to end violence against women through engaging young people. Michael Kaufman of the White Ribbon Foundation, um, a fantastic fantastic guy called Ben Hurst, who's from the Good Lad Initiative in the UK, spends his time going into schools and talking to boys about this stuff. So, you know, this is not about all men. It really, really isn't. It hasn't made me feel that for a second. What I do feel is that this is a significant group of people. Of course, it's not all men. It's a tiny fraction of men. But it is nonetheless actually a much bigger uh, group of people than we might like to think. And actually, I think if you care about men, if you care about teenage boys... Yeah. then you ought to care about this because they're the ones who are being sucked in and radicalised. 
they often go online with very real questions, vulnerabilities, anxieties, and they are being preyed upon and groomed by these by these groups because they don't necessarily have offline resources to tackle things like male mental health, particularly for adolescents. We've seen 600 youth centres shut down. We've seen huge cuts to youth centre funding. So if we care about young men and supporting them, then these groups are really preying on them when they're at their most vulnerable. Did you talk to any men who perhaps have been part of the groups and now weren't? Yes, I did. I spoke to several. and One of them had the most chilling, really quite shocking story, I think. Mm. Um, he's a young man called Jack Peterson. And um, when he was an incel and he had got into these groups very, very young. So he had been, he told me that he was 11 when he first started kind of looking at some of the big forums, places like 4chan, where trolls hang out. And it was quite gradual for him being sucked into the incel community. And he told me it happened so gradually over a period of years. He became so used to seeing these kinds of jokes and memes and really extreme things said that by the time he found himself in the incel community it was, he'd become desensitized to it and it didn't seem so strange anymore what happened to him was that after the toronto van attack when the mainstream media briefly sort of showed an interest in incels he was the one who sort of stood up for the community and said no we're just lonely guys who are supporting each other and this is a kind community and you're taking one bad apple and using him to smear us all we don't hate women we don't think women should be killed Anyway, he was bombarded with hate and abuse after this, but not by the feminists or the women he might have expected, but by his own community. The incels mm. turned on him, and he was bombarded with hate from incels saying, yes, we do hate women. We do want them all to die. Why are you out there spreading the wrong message? Don't pretend that we don't all hate women. And he realized that what he'd been led to think was kind of ironic and people just letting off steam really was what many of the men in these communities believed. And for him, that was the shock that was enough to jolt him out of it. Um, but not everybody is so lucky as to have a kind of turning point like that. Where do you think these attitudes come from? Like, what's, what's the driver for them? What's, is, it, is it something that's new in our society? Is it about perhaps the changes we've seen in society around gender roles and male-female equality? What is driving this? I think it's really complex. I think, of course, that that does play some part. I think that mm. part of this is a backlash, an inevitable backlash against progress. And yeah. um, these communities, for example, are extremely adept at um, capitalizing on the Me Too movement to create a huge number of myths and misconceptions. But I think there's also more to it than that. For example, you can't separate these communities from white supremacy and neo-Nazism. They're extremely closely interlinked, both in terms of the racism in the incel community and the misogyny in the white supremacist online communities and they very deliberately see extremist misogyny as a gateway to suck boys into white supremacy and neo-nazism so it's very complex and that, there's a lot to unpack there but i think at the root of a lot of it is fear that's what these communities use and capitalize on to draw people in this sense of fear you might get sent to jail women are out there waiting to falsely accuse you you're going to lose your job you won't be able to support your family and they capitalize on these ideas as a man you should be supporting your family they claim to care about men and the problems they face but these communities double down on exactly the kind of really restrictive gender stereotypes that are most hurting men and boys in the first place as women, what can we do to support perhaps men or boys who are being impacted by this, but also to 
I mean, I don't know if we can fight against it, but is there something we can do to minimise it? I think there's a lot we can do. I think that we can call on governments and politicians to recognise this as a form of terrorism. When people are going offline and massacring dozens of people in the name of an extreme hatred of a specific group, it meets every definition of international terrorism, but at the moment we aren't calling it that. I think there's a lot that men can be doing as well, actually. Um, I think in terms of how we talk to young people in our lives, um, giving young people in our lives the opportunity to discuss these things offline is really, really important so that they don't get sucked into these groups because it's the only place to talk about these issues and these fears. I think we need to see training and funding to support schools to recognise this as a kind of radicalisation and to try and look out for vulnerable boys being sucked into it. At the moment, of course, schools are highly on the lookout for other forms of radicalisation, but this doesn't really seem to be on the radar at all. And I think um, we need to look at funding for male mental health, for male survivors of sexual violence, the issues that the manosphere that these groups claim to care about but don't actually do anything to tackle. All of those things would help to take away the kind of chokehold that these communities have on boys and men because there isn't anywhere else for them to go. But it's not just down to women. Those are all things that men can be doing as well. When I hear stories like this, there's a part of me which feels, and this is maybe a very, um, I'm sorry to be gender, but a very female reaction. There's a part of me that feels at some, uh, some level responsible for it. I'm like, oh God, have we been too angry in how we've talked about rape? Have we been too angry in how we've talked about the Me Too movement? Have we not listened enough to the men when they told us they didn't understand it? Have we not taken the time to explain? Help, exactly. help on that, Laura. That's what I'm asking. <laughs> I think that's exactly what they would like you to think. Mm. But I also think it's a complete distortion of reality. And I think distortion mm. is the key word here. Yes, these men have taken an extremely distorted version of what's been talked about when it comes to Me Too and feminist dialogue around rape. But that isn't because Me Too has gone too far as the media would have it. It's because the media has put that spin on it. And I think the media has a real significant amount to answer for here. It makes these groups seem much more credible and appealing when you've got people on mainstream television programs mm -hmm. like the Today program asking whether Me Too is a witch hunt. Mm -hmm. When you've got, you know, national newspapers writing columns and front pages saying everything's gone too far. You know, men could now meet their downfall because of, um, you know, a misplaced smile. Um, calling women feminazis on the front pages of some of our biggest newspapers. Yes, I think there's been a complete misinterpretation of Me Too, but how has that happened? I don't think it's because of what feminists and women have been saying in the first place, which is simply here are millions of examples of us being raped and abused. Well, the problem is, is the media picking that up and looking for clickbait and controversy and presenting it as a debate about whether this is an attack on men when that hasn't been the case at all. Well, as you talked, I'm reminded of a time I did a uh, morning TV show. Let's not say which one, but you can take a guess. And <laughs> the gentleman who was on the show with me used it as an opportunity to uh, say, well, I know that the majority of rape accusations are false. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to challenge him on that, you know, I got torn apart for being too angry. Mm -hmm. And um, and there is something about the media's desire for debate and polarisation, which means that people just shout extremes at each other rather than have a discussion. Do you think that mm -hmm. this is... Have, can we get past this with social media? Can we move to a place where actually 
we can have a level of discussion rather than angry debate, which does just polarise. Yes, I think we can, but I also think we need a bit more intelligence and nuance from the media when looking at which issues are acceptable for debate and to be presented as yeah. such. I think we've seen this recently with, with stuff around racism and the media suggesting that it isn't acceptable for certain comments to be reported as racist as if there's a debate about it when they are clearly racist. Yeah. And it's the same, I think, with sexism and also with climate change as well. It's slowly starting to change now, but for decades, climate change campaigners have had to waste half of the airtime that they get given, which was already small, on debating against somebody who's put up to say, well, I don't think climate change change exists when we know from the science that that shouldn't be a matter for debate and I think the same is true here there's a lot to debate about this stuff you could have have a debate about how best to tackle it you should have it you could have a debate about whether we should shut these people down on social media about whether they need to be brought into the sunlight there's so much to debate but what isn't really up for debate is for example does this really exist is feminism going too far we know that there are huge numbers of women being raped and sexually assaulted those are facts they're not opinions so I think the media has a lot to answer for in terms of how it frames and the nuance of what it thinks should be presented as a debate and what should be presented as fact when we have robust statistics to say that it is fact. For one of the things that occurs to me is how young some of these boys who are accessing this material actually are. You know, we sort of yeah. we always assume that they're late teens and that's not the reality. Um, yeah. I think you say in your book you, a lot of them come through gaming and those are boys who are sort of seven, eight, nine, ten. How do we, how can parents talk to their sons about this and potentially protect them from some of it? Well, I think that the first and most important thing is for parents to make themselves aware of it. Mm. We are at this extraordinary moment in history at the moment, which is unique. It's never happened before and it will never happen again. We never really mention it or talk about it, but we have a generation of non-digital natives parenting and educating a generation of digital natives. Mm. And those two worlds couldn't be more different. It's as if a generation of people from one country are parenting and educating a generation of people from the other side of the world in terms of the, the culture class but we don't talk about bridging that gap and it's vital because for many of us I think we really don't have any idea of the extremity of what young people are seeing on a daily basis as the kind of wallpaper of their online lives so I'd recommend parents educators people having a look at things like some big comedy meme accounts on Instagram um, typing something like feminist gets owned into YouTube and just seeing where that algorithmic rabbit hole takes you and the kind of videos that come up. Mm -hmm. Looking at some of the biggest red pill communities on Reddit, for example, just having a little dig around and, and starting to get the sense of what's normal because what's normal online is so extreme that like the boys I spoke to, it's very easy to become desensitized to this kind of thing. Looking out for red flags as well, words like red-pilled or black-pilled, words like normies, words like triggered or butthurt, these are all red flags that they might have already come across some of this content. And then I think it's about talking, 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 talking as much as you can and try not to play into the conspiracy theories that they will have been fed because this grooming is so effective it starts from the point of telling boys no one else in your life will understand this 
they've all been brainwashed and you're the only one that knows the truth. So you have to tread gently when you're trying to de-radicalize someone. If you come in sort of swinging and saying, no, 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 you know, this is all lies and you don't know what you're talking about, you have to tread gently. You have to be able to talk about the very real ways in which men and boys are affected by some of this stuff. And then it helps, I think, just to use real concrete statistics to show them gently that actually not everything is perhaps as it seems online. Finally, um, I was reading an article today about a French book called I Hate Men, which is written by a woman called Pauline Hamange, and uh, the French, uh, an advisor to the French government has called for it to be banned because they're saying you know, any book that says I hate men is fundamentally sexist. Mm-hmm. Um, and Hamange says in the book you know, that actually women should embrace hating men, that we should see it as a part of our kind of freedom and radicalization and as a key part of feminism. Um, when are we going to get to a point where the two genders find a level of peace with each other? <laughs> and how can we do that? Well, hopefully I think it's something that we're working towards. I do think that we're making progress. I certainly wouldn't agree with that premise or the idea that hating men is a useful standpoint. <laughs> but I certainly think it's very interesting that that book has received high levels of press. I mean, the amount of social media, the fact that a member of government has come forward and tried to take action on this book because of its title, because of it saying, I hate men. It's a woman wanting to discuss whether or not women should be allowed to say that. And yet there are communities out there with hundreds of thousands of men actively planning to rape and kill women. And they've gone out and done it to the extent that I've traced a hundred murders or serious injuries to members of these communities over the last 10 years. And we haven't seen any any call that I'm aware of in any government around the world to look into banning them, I think that tells you something about the fact that it's not quite a level playing field yet. Laura Bates, it is fantastic to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time Thank this evening. Um, Laura Bates, the author of Men Who Hate Women, just doing brilliant work to actually investigate what is going on in those communities online. How can we start to address them? You said a brilliant point there, which is a book called I Hate Men has generated massive publicity. Uh, government calls for it to be banned. And yet these communities out there actively promoting the violence against women, the death of women, and nobody is saying anything about them. Why is that? What does that tell us about our society today? Um, her book is out now. Do go buy it. And particularly if you're a parent, do you think about, she says, that how you educate yourself about these communities and talk to your children about them because they are the generation that are really going to be impacted by them. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more Badass Guests and in-depth chats. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.